So God, and this is another part that I want you to see too, people have free will. And God does the best he can with the choices that we make as far as working things out. But there's a limit in how things turned out based on our choices. So he's like, oh, you're not listening to me, but okay. I will give you the best that I know as far as a king. And so God gives him Saul. And in the beginning, Saul is a good guy. He's walking with God. He's humble. He's seeking God. This is looking great at the beginning. He's even prophesying, which is kind of was unusual in the Old Testament for people that weren't prophets. You just didn't see a lot of them prophesying. So he's like really walking with God in a big way. It's going great. Then there's this battle that takes place. His son, Saul's son, is an amazing guy to Jonathan. Uh, he's, a, a, this, he's a young man that has all this faith. He's, he's a valiant warrior, but he trusts God and a wonderful, wonderful guy. And so he wins this battle over the Philistines. And what happens is Saul was supposed to wait seven days for Samuel the prophet, Samuel the prophet, who's the one that told Saul he was going to be king. He says, I'll be there in seven days and we'll do the sacrifice together, together to give thanks to God. So what happens is seven days goes by and, and Samuel does not show up. So Saul starts freaking out. Mind you, he is not a prophet. He's not supposed to be doing the sacrifices. But Saul starts relying on himself instead of God and listening to God, and things start going south. And so in 1 Samuel 13 and verse 10, it says, Now it happened, as soon as he had finished presenting the birth, burnt offering, this is Saul, that Samuel shows up. Like as soon as he finishes doing it, Samuel arrives. And Saul went out to meet him that he might greet him. And Samuel said, What have you done? And Saul said, and here's what happens. His first response is it gives four excuses. So this is moving into unsafe person territory where he's blaming everything else about why he doesn't listen to God. He says, well, when I saw that the people were scattered, that's reason number one, the people were scattering. I had to. I didn't have a choice. And he's number two, and that you didn't come when you were supposed to come. So it's, then it's Samuel's fault. And then number three, the Philistines gathered together at Mishmash, or I don't think you pronounce it that way, but I don't know how. <laughs> Mishmash. Um, <laughs> they're gathering. He's like, you know, the Philistines are gathering. And then number four, it says, then I said, the Philistines will now come on me at Gilgal, and I have not made supplication to the Lord. Therefore, I felt compelled and offered a burnt offering. And Samuel said to Saul, you've done foolishly. Why? You have not kept the commandment of the Lord your God, which he commanded you. For now the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever, but now... Your kingdom shall not continue. The Lord has sought for himself a man after his own heart, and the Lord has commanded him to be a commander over his people because you have not kept what the Lord commanded you. So there's a few things that I want to talk about. People use the saying, God is in control. I'm sorry, that's not what my Bible reads. What we saw is 
God had what he wanted for Saul. Saul made a dumb choice of not listening to God. And so what does it say? It said the Lord would have kept your kingdom forever, but you didn't listen. And now it's going to be taken away. We have free will, people. It changes things. God's promise was on a condition that Saul didn't keep as far as keeping his kingdom. So there's a few things here is there's missed opportunities in life that are important to pay attention to. Sometimes we think, well, everything happens for a reason, meaning like God, no matter what we do, no matter what our choices are, God wanted it. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't add up with what we see in life or anything else. There are missed opportunities. Every single person, I kind of, it's kind of exciting in a way, and I see it. I feel like this is one, like one of the things God's done for me, and it's really emotional for me. But it helps, like I feel like God helps me to see how he sees somebody and what the possibilities are for their life. And I believe that that's how God looks at each and every one of us. We have a calling, but that's an invitation from God of what he sees possible for you. What he would long for, for you to have life to the full. His longing is for you to have life to the full. That's God's heart. He, it's an invitation. It's a calling. But then we get to choose. There are opportunities that God, that God causes that says, come here. This is what I long for you. This is what I desire. But guess what? Sometimes we say no to God, and it just doesn't turn out so well. To not recognize that, is or to think that somehow everything that happens God wanted is, how are you going to make choices? Just don't do whatever. Shoot up drugs. Shoot people. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, why not? Do you see the insanity that somehow God has everything that you do God meant it to be? It's disempowering from, from what our options are in life. God's inviting us into things. God's inviting each and every person. He sees you. You're a gift. You have gifts and talents and abilities that are special and wondrous and unique to you. But whether you see the fulfillment of it, it has to do with you saying yes to God or no to God. God always, his Desires are always things that bring us into life to the full. I want you to think about this. I know we're fallen people. We all at different times have not chosen God and have suffered some consequences. And not because God dishes out the consequences. The instruction to begin with is because he wants us to avoid hurt. If you get into a really destructive, hurtful relationship... It's not the consequence where God was saying, no, don't do it. And you've, probably a lot of you have done this, right? God's going, no. And you go forward and you hurt because of it. God's not causing the consequence. He was trying to keep you from the hurt, do you see? Here with Saul, for one, God told the people of Israel, you, you don't want a king. It's not going to be well. God said, I'm your king. God said, I want to be number one. I want to rule you as a people. Look to me, not to a king. But they didn't. They cut God short and wanted to look to their own devices, which was a king. This is the same thing here with Saul and his kingdom. God said, I would have given you this kingdom to last forever. But instead of Saul trusting God and being obedient to what God said, he's sitting there 
blaming people, rationalizing, making excuses. This is not faith. This is trusting in the flesh, trusting in yourself, making your own way because you just don't want to do it God's way. You got better ideas. I, it's a, you know, it, it's, it's, I just want to get to the place where there's less of me saying no to God and missing out. How about you? Do you know what I'm saying? Let's not miss out, guys, on what's possible, on what God's invitation is for you. And I can relate to this because um, our default it's a broken world. It says Satan is the god of this world. It's why there is sickness. It's why there is hurt. It's why there's murder. You know, it's funny. I was listening to this. Um, Patty sent me a link for some famous British guy that's an atheist. And it's interesting because they were questioning him about why he didn't believe in God. And he was saying, uh, and he said, well, what if there is a God? You get to the pearly gates and there is a really God. What would you say? And he said, I would say you are one sick God to make children sick, etc. It makes sense if that's what you're thinking. How logical is this that God does everything? We don't judge people like that. I mean, we don't say Jeffrey Dahmer had a good reason, probably. You know, how logical is that? People that are, you know, serial killers and things like that are, you know, well, they probably have a good reason. It's probably for a good purpose. Do you see? We can't throw logic out the door when it comes to faith or the things of God. And we also want to line up what we believe with what God's word says. You don't read any, you know, anyway. So I can understand that. But the thing is, is what happened here with Saul is he drifts. Because this is... Satan is the god of this world. If you're not proactive, you're going to drift towards being away from God, not towards God. You will drift into sin nature if you're not moving and being proactive in your walk with God. Like, do you, and you've seen this, right? Try not praying for a week. If you don't, there are, aren't there lots of things to try and get you away from prayer and time with God? You know, oops, woke up late. Oops, got it. for me, it's my email you know, Facebook, you know, whatever, things that chew up and pull you away. If you're not proactive, the drift will be away from God and trusting God. So it's important that we relate in a way that we are aggressive in our pursuit of God. I don't want to just accidentally drift away. It's disempowering. So this is what happens with Saul. He's on a roll. He's prophesying. He could be the biggest, baddest king ever. And have it all, because that's what God was wanting if he was seeking God. I know because 10 years ago, I did. It just sort of like I, I, I kept kind of, it started with me, like, where I started becoming self-reliant in ministry. Because, you know, I, I know how to do this ministry thing in some ways, at least the pastoral part. A lot of the stuff I don't know how to do that, you know, that much. But one of the things I was able to do is I'm very... Um, I know a lot as far as giving one-on-one -on -one counsel kind of thing. But it's way different when you start doing that without, like, me seeking God in it versus I know what the answer is for that. I know, what, I know how to tell you about boundaries. I can, do, you know, I can explain boundaries. I've done it for years. I've worked on my own boundary stuff. But there's a difference. So 
10 years ago, I just started going, well, I got this. I got this, God. I don't really need you involved in this. Not really consciously. But it, what happened is I just started doing things where I made excuses where I wasn't in the Bible, wasn't in God's word, wasn't praying, etc. And I just started to drift. That's what's going on. I mean, with Saul is I think things were fairly successful. And he's like, hey, I got to do what I got to do. Self-reliance versus God-reliance. Anyway, so we see it's also possible that safe people can go to be, become unsafe people because we talked about safe and unsafe people at the dating workshop and what that looks like. What are the characteristics of safe people? What are the characteristics of unsafe? Well, you can go like Saul went from being a safe person to an unsafe person because he was making choices that weren't moving him towards God, towards integrity, etc. Or you can go the other way around, you can, which is awesome. That's what we want. Go from being unsafe people. A lot of you guys that did the dating workshop last weekend went, I'm an unsafe person, but I don't want to be. And that's great to go, I'm, I really want to do something about this, that I can become a safe person in relationships. Uh, so anyway, we'll read more. In uh, 1 Samuel 15, in verse 10, it says, Now the word of the Lord came to Samuel, the prophet, saying, Look at this. I greatly regret that I have set up Saul as king. What does God say? He regrets doing it. I'm telling you, it's not God's in control. Do you see? He did it. Saul didn't listen. And God's going, this sucks. Really sucks. He says, for he's turned his back from following me and has not performed my commandments. And I love this too. I mean, just Samuel's heart. It grieved Samuel and he cried out to the Lord all night. That should be where our heart is. Like, I just, when you see somebody where God's given them a promise and that you see the potential. Sometimes for me, it's like I see what somebody could have in, in marriage one day. You know, I just see and I'm like, oh, I could see how you could be so blessed and so happy if you did this work and walk with God. That you could have this awesome relationship. And when people go, yeah, you know going to go after bad boys and bad girls or something, you know, and you're just going, oh, you know, and God cries for that because he doesn't want to see us hurt or, you know, and so Samuel's crying too because he's seeing that it's heartbreaking of what's happening. So then what happens is we'll go down to First um, Samuel 16 and verse 14. It says, but the spirit of the Lord departed from Saul and a distressing spirit from the Lord troubled him. So I need to kind of walk you through a couple things here. In the Old Testament, and you'll hear more about this during the Seekers Retreat, where there's clarity, and I, we're also discussing it in the demystifying the Bible to some degree. The Old Testament, people had spirit upon them. It was on a condition when they were in, in alignment and fellowship with God. God's spirit would just kind of sit on them, and they would, like, hear from God. But people in the Old Testament could not get born again of Holy Spirit where they became children of God and could hear from God all the time. So while Samuel, I mean, while Saul was walking with God, he had God's spirit on him. When he stopped walking with God, the God's spirit went away because he wasn't being obedient to God. Now, here's another thing is there's a figure of speech that confuses people a lot about the Old Testament called the idiom of permission. It's a Hebrew way of looking at life in the Old Testament 
where they give God credit because they didn't know a lot about Satan in the Old Testament. It says Jesus came to kind of um, to, to reveal uh, Satan, that, that we would have more awareness. Because people couldn't get saved and they didn't have Holy Spirit. They couldn't understand spiritual things. Most people were sitting there did not have Holy Spirit. We have Holy Spirit today and can hear from God. So a lot of times in the Old Testament, it's called a, it's a figure, uh, Hebrew figure of speech, idiom of permission, where God is given credit for things he doesn't do because, he's, because the concept is God is all God and, and overall. Because the, the troubling spirit is a demon. This is, God doesn't give people demons. And this is why there is a little bit of confusion here. You can see this from the context of, of Scripture. From the, you have to kind of sometimes look at the whole Bible of other situations to see a distressing spirit, which is a demon from the Lord. It, the Lord didn't send it, troubled him. So it's a figure of speech. And then in verse 15 it says, And Saul's servant said to him, Surely a distressing spirit from God is troubling you. Let our master now command your servants who are before you to seek out a man who is skillful in the harp, and it will be that he will play it with his hand when the distressing spirit from God is upon you, and it shall be well. So it's kind of cool. You know, music, there, um, music can have uh, an influence where spirits actually go away. You know, the, the spirit world, it says, that there are demons, they do... The Bible talks about it. It's the things that cause people to murder, etc., those spirits. But music actually, godly, spiritually inspired music can actually has the ability to make demons go away. And so what they were saying is, well, we should get somebody to play music. So guess who they get? They get David to come and play music. He's a musician. And David plays music. And when Saul is struggling with demons, these demons go away. So we'll just read that. In, in 1 Samuel 16 and verse 23, it says, And so it was, whenever the Spirit from God was upon Paul, that David would take his harp and play it with his hand, and then Saul would become refreshed, and, well, the distressing spirit would depart from him. It's also, you see, um, in the Bible, too, you know, like that there, are, there is music that has demonic influence that helps open people's minds to demons. You see it, like, with the Columbine killers, you know, the music, if you listen to the music that they listen to, you go, how could somebody do something so sick and twisted? It's a piece. It's not the whole story, but it's a piece of them feasting. They were feasting on music that talked about shooting people in schoolyards. You know, it's like really dark, really angry, really hateful kind of stuff. So uh, there's not all music is spiritual, but it can be. So David's working for Saul, and then you know the David and Goliath story, right? David's a boy. Everybody knows that. Everybody knows that, right? Okay. It's pretty cool. You know, you've got Saul, and they're fighting the Philistines, and David, this boy, is the only one brave enough to go against Goliath, this nine-foot-tall guy, and he shoots him with a slingshot because he's like, my God's big, and he's like so on fire, so full of faith, and everyone's like, He's a kid. All the other warriors are afraid. So you see David and how much David is totally trusted. Talk about not trusting in the flesh, not trusting in himself. He's a little dude. He's a teenager. Everybody can't even wear the equipment. He's so small and, you know, whatever. So that happens after this. And then what happens is Jonathan, who I told you is Saul's friend and sweet guy, full of faith, valiant guy, becomes best friends with David. They're just 
love each other. They have in common their faith in God, etc. And so what happens is in 1 Samuel 18 and verse 5, it says, So David went out when, wherever Saul sent him, and look at this, behaved wisely. I want you to see this because Saul is in kind of a weird place, right? He's getting demonized sometimes, etc. So you have to behave wisely. You can't be stupid around people that are crazy. You could get hurt that way. So I want to take a look at what he did to behave wisely. And it says, And Saul set him over the men of war, and he was accepted in the sight of all the people and also in the sight of Saul's servants. So David, again, it's very much like Joseph, builds a reputation as a person of faith, a person of integrity. And Saul gets weirder and weirder. In 1 Samuel 18, verse 6, it says, Now it happened as they were coming home when David was returning from the slaughter of the Philistine that the women had come out of all the cities of Israel singing and dancing to meet King Saul with tambourines, with joy, with musical instruments. So the women sang and danced and said, Saul has slain his thousands and David his ten thousands. Saul doesn't like this. Then verse 8, it says, Then Saul was very angry, and the saying displeased him, and he said, They have ascribed to David ten thousands, and to me they ascribed only thousands. Now what more can he have but the kingdom? So Saul eyed David from that day forward. And you just see that it starts growing and growing, the envy, the anger, all that stuff in Saul. There's no faith in this. He's looking at David as a threat, and it gets worse and worse. And then in 1 Samuel 18, verse 10, it says, and it happened on the next day that the distressing spirit from God, that's the demon, came upon Saul and he prophesied in the house. There's demonic prophecy. This is not a good prophecy. And it says, so David played music with his hand as at other times, but there was a spear in Saul's hand. And Saul cast the spear for he said, I will pin David to the wall. But David escaped his presence twice. Now Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with him but he had departed from Saul. Therefore, Saul removed him from his presence and made him captain over a thousand, and, went, uh, and he went out and came in before the people. And David, look at this, behaved wisely in all his ways, and the Lord was with him. Therefore, when Saul saw that he behaved very wisely, he was afraid of him. But all Israel and Judah loved David because he went out and came in before them. So here we see... Saul is so crazy, he tries to kill David twice already because of the envy. Again, trusting in himself, not trusting in God. But David, I told you, God's going to take care of you. David sees it and escapes twice. God speaks to him. David's walking with God, etc. So David's safe in this. And now he's building his reputation where everybody loves David. Saul gets so crazy, he now uses his daughter as a trap. In 1 Samuel 18, verse 20, Now Michal, Saul's daughter, loved David. And they told Saul, and the thing pleased him. So Saul said, I will give him to her that she might be a snare to him. You would use your daughter to get revenge on somebody? Is that a little sick? This is unsafe people, would you say? Uh, Unsafe people. It says, and the hand of the Philistines may be against him. Therefore Saul said to David a second time, You shall be my son-in-law today. Oh, he offered his daughter before and then lied and took him back, this other daughter. So this is his second daughter that he's offering David. He says, oh, you shall be my son-in-law. And Saul commanded his servants, go communicate with David secretly and say, look, the king likes you and his servants like you. 
you could be a son-in-law. And in verse 23, so Saul's servants spoke those words in the hearing of David. And David said, <laughs> they, they go to David, hey, the king likes you, everybody else likes you, you can marry his daughter. David's response, look at the humility of David. Also save people, right? Humility. It says, does it seem a light thing to you to be a king's son-in-law, seeing as I'm poor and lightly esteemed? He's like, what are you making a joke? I'm nobody. And so in verse 24, and the servants of Saul uh, told him, saying, in this manner David spoke. And Saul said, oh, tell him this. The king doesn't desire any dowry, but 100 foreskins of the Philistines. <laughs> That's what he wants. Hey, don't worry about it. Doesn't matter. You don't have money. Just bring me 100 foreskins of the enemy. You know what those are, right? I don't think that they, he meant bring him with the guys. <laughs> he goes, that's with the dowry to take. So Saul thought to make David fall. Hey, because if you're killing 100 Philistines and getting their foreskins, do you think it sounds likely you'd live through such a thing? Yeah, not really. Kind of a dangerous situation, right? This is funny, isn't it? And then it says, uh... But Saul thought to make David fall, blah, blah, blah. Oh, in verse 26. So when his servants told David these words, it pleased David well to become the king's son-in-law. He's like, this is awesome. Now the days did not expire. So then David arose and went, uh, and his men, and what? Killed 200. <laughs> the only 100? I'll get 200 foreskins. And then he counts them for the king right in front of him. <laughs> This is hilarious, right? 27, David arose, he kills 200, and David brought their foreskins and gave them full count. One, two. <laughs> 200 of these things. Uh, he wasn't expecting that, I'm sure. <laughs> David's like, I want to make sure you don't feel cheated. <laughs> Counting out 200 of those. <laughs> David brought their foreskins, get full count, that he might become this king's son-in-law. Uh, then Saul gave him Michal, his daughter, as a wife. Thus Saul, Saul saw and knew that the Lord was with David and that Michal, Saul's daughter, loved him. Okay, so it gets so intense at this point, and Saul is constantly trying to kill David that David has to actually hide out. He has to run and hide, and he's... Uh, and so then Saul gets mad because he can't find David. So he asks Jonathan, he goes, hey, I know my son is best friends with him. He's got to be able to get David to come to me so I can kill him. So he asks his son Jonathan in 1 Samuel 20, verse 30, it says, then Saul's anger was aroused against Jonathan and said to him, you son of a perverse, rebellious woman, do I not know you've chosen the son of Jesse? over your own shame and to the shame of your mother's nakedness. For as long as the son of Jesse lives on earth, you shall not be established nor your kingdom. Now therefore send and bring him to me, for he shall surely die. And Jonathan answered Saul about his father, I mean Saul his father, and said to him, why should he be killed? What's he done? And Saul cast a spear at him to kill him, to his own son. Sick puppy, right? unsafe person just feeding the thing is you just keep feeding on this stuff and don't interrupt it you're gonna get sicker and sicker people do 
So he's so angry that he sits there, he's threatening his son, he throws his son, and his son's just going, you see how awesome Jonathan is and what a good friend he is, that even to his dad, who's king and has all the power, Jonathan's speaking up. That's what a safe person looks like. That's what a safe friend looks like, is somebody that will speak up for you and speak truth. We're going to talk next week about choosing your friends wisely. Jonathan was a great friend. Jonathan's the kind of friend you want to have. Loving and truthful. And so it says, um, Saul cast a spear to kill him, which Jonathan knew that it was determined by his father to kill David. So Jonathan arose from the table in fierce anger and ate no food a second day of the month, for he was grieved for David because his father had treated him shamefully. Let's go to 1 Samuel 24. It's so cool because here's the other thing that we see. David keeps his heart soft. His heart doesn't get hard towards Saul. He walks wisely. He keeps himself out of danger. He knows how he, he has the wisdom to know he's got to remove himself from Saul that Saul's trying to kill him. He's like not being a dummy, just sitting around going, hey, a guy's trying to kill me. I'll just stay in town. So he, he, he's acting wisely. But you also see that David keeps trying to make it work with Saul. He understands that Saul is being driven by fear. And so David continues to try and win trust. David's like, okay, he doesn't trust me. I'm going to try to build the relationship so that Saul won't have fear about me and will trust me. So what happens in 1 Samuel 24, verse 1, it says, Now it happened when Saul had returned from following the Philistines that it was told him, saying, Take note, David is in the wilderness of En Gedi. That's where David was hiding out. Then Saul took 3,000 chosen men for one guy, 3,000 guys he takes, and went to seek David and his men on the rocks of the wild goats. So he came to the sheepfolds by the road where there was a cave, and Saul went in to attend to his needs. That's take a dump. So it says a poo. Would that be better? Take a poo. And then David and his men were staying in the recesses of the cave. So here he is. The place he decides to take a dump is where David and his men are hiding. So David's, uh, the men of David said, this is the day the Lord said to you, behold, here, could it be any clearer? God just gave you this guy. And so um, he said, behold, I will deliver your enemy into your hand that you might do to him what it seems good to you. David could get revenge. He could, right? I mean, a lot of opportunity here. It says, and a David arose and secretly cut off a corner from Saul's road, is what he does. And then in verse 8, it says, Saul also arose afterwards when he left the cave and went out of the cave and called to Saul, saying, my lord, the king. Saul looks behind him, like, it's like, ugh. And said, when Saul looked behind him, David stooped with his face to the earth and bowed down. And David said to Saul, why do you listen to the words of men who say, indeed, David seeks your harm? Look, this day, your eyes have seen that the Lord delivered you today into my hand in the cave. And someone urged me to kill you, but my eyes spared you. And I said, I will not stretch out my hand against the Lord, for he is the Lord's anointed. Moreover, my father, see, yes, the corner of your robe is in my hand. For in that I cut the corner of your robe and did not kill you, 
know and see that there is neither evil nor rebellion in my hand, and I have not sinned against you. Yet you hunt my life to take it. Let the Lord judge between you and me, and let the Lord avenge me on you, but my hand shall not be against you. You see forgiveness. You see David's not trying to make him pay or take revenge for this. And David's doing his best. And you see, this keeps happening, actually, where David's constantly trying to show Saul when he has the opportunity that he's trustworthy. But there's only so much you can do. David's doing his part, and guess what? Saul's not coming around. So what happens? Because there are relationships like that in life where you do everything that you're supposed to do. You're honest. You trust God. You have integrity. You're communicating. And people just won't receive it. That happens, and there's nothing we can do about that part. You will lose some relationships. But all God calls you to do is do your part. God will take care of you if you do your part. If you're doing the part, if you're setting boundaries, you're speaking the truth in love, etc., God will take care of you. And in 1 Samuel 24, 16, it says, So it was when David had finished speaking these words to Saul that Saul said, Is this your voice, my son David? Oh, now he gets all soft for like five seconds. And then, and Saul lifted up his voice and wept. And he said to David, You are more righteous than I, for you have rewarded me with good, whereas I have rewarded you with evil. And you have shown this day how you have dealt well with me. And when the Lord delivered me into your hand, you did not kill me. For a man finds, if a man finds his enemy, will he let him get away safely? Therefore, may the Lord reward you with good for what you have done to me this day. And now I know indeed that surely, that you shall surely be king, and that the kingdom of Israel shall be established in your hand. Therefore, swear now to me by the Lord that you will not cut off my descendants after me, but you will not destroy the name from my father's house. So David swore to Saul, and Saul went home. But David and his men went up to the stronghold. So it keeps going like this. You know, as you see for a moment there, Saul, because of David's heart, because of his love, it just shows you like how persistent, how full of faith, how loving David was that for a little while, Saul's heart softens and he says, oh, you've been so loving to me. But Saul doesn't stay there. Saul keeps going back to the envy, not trusting God, not seeking God out. And ultimately what happens is it says that Saul winds up um, committing suicide uh, when he's caught in battle. And, um, and it says in another book of the Bible that he dies because he sought out a medium and not trusting God. And he just makes all these choices that are really destructive and hurtful. David becomes king. But all through this, David keeps his promise. David keeps his word. David's still honoring of Saul not disrespecting him, not hard-hearted, not being hateful, not being vengeful. David's just having integrity and being who he is, but also being wise and setting boundaries and not putting him in the situation of allowing Saul to get harmed. You see the difference? Sometimes we were talking like in the, in the dating workshop, and Kim brought it up, boundaries and walls are different. You know, boundaries are where you recognize the limits of whatever the relationship is and you don't put yourself in harm's way. But you don't have to get angry. You don't have to be vengeful. You don't have to callous or harden your heart. You can still care about people that hurt you. You can still have the love of God and you will be okay and God will take care of you. All we can do in relationships is our part. Next week, we're going to talk about choosing your friends wisely 
and what it looks like to have awesome friendships. So hopefully you'll come back for our last week, next week of Mad Men. Let me close in prayer. Heavenly Father, I feel incredibly grateful to you for your love. That it's possible that you, I just love that no matter what, God, we just, it's such a comfort. We can't control other people. There are crazy people. There are hurtful people. But the, we want to be the safe people. We want to be the people that cleave to you, that do our part, that don't cause harm to others or revenge, God, but that you will take care of us and in it we'll make sure that we do have awesome relationships in our lives. Thank you, God. Amen.